its premiere in 1991, Northern Ballet's hit production of Romeo and Juliet has survived fire, flood and the changing fashions of more than three decades. Ahead of the ballet's much-anticipated revival this March, an exhibition at the Stanley and Audrey Burton Gallery, University of Leeds, brings together drawings, props, costumes and photographs from the company's archive to tell the eventful story of the making of a classic. Set to Prokofiev's electrifying score, director Christopher Gable, CBE, and choreographer Massimo Morricone's take on Shakespeare's timeless tragedy became Northern Ballet's greatest success. The Sunday Times hailed it as triumphant, swift-paced, full-blooded, even sexy, and rightly predicted it would be a box office cert for years to come. A slew of awards, an Olivier nomination and a Christmas Day screening on the BBC followed, and over the next 20 years it notched up more than 500 performances across the world. I'm Vika Erringer, Director of the Culture Institute at the University of Leeds, former CEO of Yorkshire Dance, and before that, Director of Learning and Access at Northern Ballet. To coincide with the exhibition and the 2024 revival, two of Northern Ballet's artistic staff, each with a long association with the ballet, took time out of rehearsals to tell us why Romeo and Juliet is such a deeply loved cornerstone of the company's repertoire, part of the company's heart and soul, if you like, and why getting it right for the revival is so important. Brazilian-born dancer Daniel de Andrade joined Northern Ballet in 1995 and first danced the role of Romeo in the 2000 staging of the work, for which he received much critical acclaim. Since retirement from the stage, he is now Northern Ballet's artistic associate, choreographing productions, reviving repertoire and assisting guest choreographers. Northern Ballet's current Artistic Learning and Academy Associate Artist Pippa Moore, MBE, made her role debut as Juliet in 2003. Following her retirement from the stage, she teaches both the Centre for Advanced Training Programme for Young People and the Graduate Training Programme and works as Associate Artist for Children's Ballets. For this year's revival of Romeo and Juliet, she will also be delivering audio-described performances and touch tours for blind and visually impaired patrons. To begin, what are Daniel and Pippa's memories of dancing the lead roles? There are many technical challenges to dancing the role of Juliet. Obviously, it's a three-act ballet, and so there's the stamina involved, but also the journey. Although it's the same character, it's not the same dynamics or the same experience throughout. She starts off very innocent. She goes through her first love, infatuation, and then you've got to find within you, fairly quickly actually, this spiral downhill into complete devastation and despair. So it's not just finding one emotion, it's being able to make a string of that narrative make sense. And so that's a challenge, I would say. Obviously, the movements also change. So at first, she's very playful and charming. The point work is quite quick, very rapid changes of movement, again, to accentuate her youth. As the story progresses, her movements become more fluid and soft as she's falling in love. So again, that's another change of movement. And then at the end, you'll see her movements become much more grounded, less on point, quite fractured, broken movements to reflect her emotional state. So it's the constant change that is quite challenging. Northern ballet dancers do work very hard. We do have seven to eight shows a week. You wouldn't play Juliet 
the seven times, we would normally have at least three main characters playing the role of Juliet. But we also learn other roles. So when I wasn't playing Juliet, I could have well been Juliet's friend or another Montague or Capulet lady. So there's also the challenge of knowing many roles within the ballet. I love performing and I love the fact that we do get to do different things. So it wasn't a problem to do the seven shows a week, as long as you had somewhere good to stay and a good night's sleep. My uh, experience of uh, dancing Romeo is perhaps one of the most transformative moments in my career. I think Romeo seemed to have taught me the most. In you know, if I look back in my career, the choreography and also the the fact that I had already been in the company by then for two years or so, I had appreciated the fact that the company uses a, a very specific narrative style where the dramatics is just as important as the classical technique and the dance of ability, and it just seemed to um, give me much more of an opportunity to express myself as an artist and also to relax on stage and completely trust that by acting the role and dancing the role fully, the audience is right there with you and you don't feel as though you are performing to them. It's just an, a shared experience. And that shared experience is obviously very physical, but I think it really connects also from the emotional level. And I think that's what I've taken from Romeo. You know, my career has kind of like been shaped by learning how to use my acting ability as well as the dancing ability at the same time equally. One of the exciting things about being cast to do Romeo is the fact that it is the archetypal romantic model of a teenage young man who falls in love eternally at first sight. I think Romeo as a character has that ability because he's a dreamer, he's excitable, he falls in love easily. You know, he loves his friends as well as, uh, you know, his uh, his ladies. Uh, I think he's quite comfortable with the with the people in the, in the street. So there's a certain generosity about him that allows him to, to fall in love in the story, the intensity of the events happening within two or three days to the point where he meets Juliet, falls in love with her, and then feels tragically bereft to think that she's passed away and then and then he, he can't face life anymore. He gets completely dedicated to that passion and to that emotional side of his soul. He's also vulnerable to to the passions of anger because, you know, his best friend gets killed by Tybalt and then in absolute rage, even though he's the, the lesser of fighter, he ends up killing Tybalt as well. So I find that kind of like a two edges of the same sword. You know, he has that capacity to love and that capacity to embrace his emotions to extremes. The love between Romeo and Juliet is the dream feeling and emotional state that everybody aspires to have. And I think if you embark in playing either Romeo or Juliet, you have to know that the artist is going to be reflecting all those feelings uh, as you perform, as you dance that role. And that can only enrich the experience for the performer as well as for the audience. I think probably the biggest challenge is initially in the studio because you work your colleagues all around you. And as a younger dancer, you may not feel that you can go to that place emotionally and you have to dig deep and you have to lose your inhibition to do it. It's not something that you can save for when you get onto the stage. It needs to really be there from the beginning because remember we talked about the intention of each movement and I think, you know, for younger dancers I would say 
get over that as soon as you can. Know that everybody's supporting you, that everybody wants the production to be a success. And the more you can trust your colleagues and that they, we all pull together to make it a performance because really there's no Juliet or Romeo without all the other characters responding to you and being there to create this story. So I think put your worries aside and just get involved. I think it, it, it comes with time and it's, you know, if I'm looking back to when I first saw my name there, oh, I have to learn and perform Romeo and that excitement that came with it. I think what I would say to my younger self is just trust the production 100%. From every angle, this production provides you the pathways for you to just commit yourself artistically and prepare yourself physically, you know, as well as you can, because it is like running a marathon. It, you know, you are a ballet dancer, you're doing all your technical arabesques and attitudes, pirouettes, but at the same time, you're running through the fights and your thighs are burning and, you know, you're swinging a heavy steel sword and the padders are very, very physical. Even in the breaks, I remember where they were, you know, there are two intervals, you are changing costumes so fast. And by the time you get to the point where you're going to go into the second act, you are sweating already, you know, from the first act. So it is a physical intense experience and it's an emotionally draining experience that you have to be prepared for. Mm. But in a sense, you can just totally commit yourself as a dancer and as an actor and feel part of something special. And you feel part of something special because you are part of a, of a group of 30, 35 people performing together, 30 people performing the music at the same time, plus hopefully 1,500 people you know, in the audience sharing that experience. And with all of that in place, I've got to say that Romeo as a role didn't make me me nervous. I was nervous preparing for it, but when I was performing, I wasn't nervous because I was too busy making it happen. You know? <laughs> the director of Romeo and Juliet, Christopher Gable, CBE, joined Northern Ballet, then known as Northern Ballet Theatre, as its third artistic director in 1987. He had enjoyed an illustrious career at the Royal Ballet, where, as we will hear, he was the original choice for Kenneth Macmillan's Romeo, but gave up dancing in his mid-twenties to become an actor. Over the following 20 years, his busy career on stage and screen included a number of TV and film roles for the director Ken Russell. He explained, I didn't want to spend the next 15 years trying to jump higher than anyone else when I could use all my energy in trying to think of why people do what they do, which is ultimately the most interesting thing in the world. I am interpretive. That's what interests me. It was this emphasis on acting, motivation and stagecraft that would catalyse Northern Ballet's transformation into one of the world's leading narrative ballet companies and shape Gable's greatest triumph, Romeo and Juliet. Christopher Gable, he was an accomplished top-level principal dancer of the Royal Ballet, so he achieved as much as one could achieve, actually, as in his dancing career. His dancing career was cut short. And in actual fact, the, the Romeo and Juliet that was created in, um, in the Royal Ballet in the 60s by Kenneth Macmillan was said to be choreographed on Christopher first. And then Nureyev actually did the opening. So I think he was very passionate. Christopher was very passionate about Romeo and Juliet specifically. But he retired very early from his uh, performing career and went on to become an actor. And he became an actor of the highest possible caliber as well. He, he was in films, he was in TV, 
he performed with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then from, you know, doing years of dramatic work, he was given the job of um, artistic director of Northern Ballet. And I think that Romeo and Juliet was the perfect vehicle for him to pour that passion and all that knowledge from dance as well as drama. I have very fond memories of working with uh, Christopher, not only on Romeo and Juliet, but on many things. As a director, he demanded a lot of commitment, physical and, you know, your discipline and your understanding of the role. But he was a person who just gave you a huge amount of inspiration and a huge amount of importance. He made you feel that you, you were valued even the days that you were not performing your best, as long as you were committed. And he was very known for taking dancers from various roles within the ballet, whether it be Romeo or whether it would be a walk-on part like Friar Lawrence, take them aside and actually talk to them for a lengthy period of time for them to understand the role. And it, it was always done in a very kind of like nurturing way. And I think Christopher taught me a lot. And like I said, the biggest gift he could have possibly given me was the ability to act 100% on stage while I was dancing because that felt like I felt free to enjoy it. We were remembering together how he almost used to look through his fingers like it was a lens of a camera and he'd just say to us, don't believe it, don't believe it, until we just got it really as though it was a cinematic experience. So it wasn't enough just to put on the acting. He wanted us to really bear our souls and, you know, to find that confidence within yourself to do that. I think it's the difference between being authentic and the audience know when you are or not. And I think from Massimo's input, uh, for me, it was a revelation to work with a man with such understanding of classical ballet, as well as complete fluidity of contemporary movement in his choreography, in his way of showing it. A real blend. I felt he also gave us specific time with each cast. Maybe we may have four different couples doing Romeo and Juliet. He would spend time with each and every couple, coaching and instructing and giving his his knowledge of, of the piece. And I felt as though I was not only being taught how to dance Romeo, I was actually being taught how to dance. You know, he, he made me dance faster, more fluid, more in the music. You start to analyse everything about your work when somebody kind of opens that other section of your, your brain. <laughs> I do have specific memories of working with Massimo, actually, because I was cast to learn Juliet, but I was still sort of quite young. And it was only because the main ladies were injured and I suddenly got boosted up to have to do the premiere in Bradford in 2003. And I didn't feel quite ready, I have to be honest, but I got I stayed behind from tour with Massimo and had a bit of a Juliet boot camp. And so I remember a lot of intense afternoons trying to get the style quicker than what I thought I would have to. Massimo has become, you know, a friend of the years because I danced the role a couple of revivals at Northern Ballet and then when David Nixon became the artistic director and whenever we revived Romeo and Juliet as part of the ballet staff, I would be responsible to revive the whole production. So the production has kind of become kind of like in my DNA a little bit and I've gone abroad to, to teach it as well. So, you know, I've grown to kind of like uh, enjoy a, a professional relationship with Massimo, which I continued to learn from watching him revive the ballet either here or somewhere else. 
I think the the way the production has been created, this call from Prokofiev, and then the direction from Christopher Gable, the strength of the focus on the dramatics, um, and then the beauty and the physicality and the intensity of the movement in the choreography just kind of like cascade you into the role, into feeling the role, not only with, you know, with your intellect, but feeling you feel the role with the whole of your body. And one of the things that I learned the most from working with Massimo Morricone in uh, Romeo and Juliet was dancing through breathing. So all the movements actually initiate from the the center of your body and it makes you commit to you're working to, from the inside out from inside so out you'd yes. never just bend down to pick something up it would be why or how or where's the um, initiation of that it was really interesting to yeah. to work like that and also i think in the partnered work in in um, ballet it's usually quite structured and you have to be careful and you lift and you you know you the, the lady will do a pirouette and you support her but in this, every single movement comes from a touch of the hand, an embrace, your face touching hers, and you know, you're know you rolling on the floor on each other. So you're not actually partnering, you're just blending your movement together. And when you're in that flow and it's working, you know, it takes a bit of practice. It's uh, not always smooth to start off with because it is like this constant wheel that's turning rather than point to point. But when it's flowing, it's magical. What makes the Balcony Padre de exceptionally poignant in the story is the fact that it is the point in the middle where nothing is disrupting pure love. They are meeting each other. They are eternally devoted to each other, even though they had just met that evening. And the declaration of love and the pouring of love from both of them to each other brings them to a point in their intimacy that none of them have kind of gone to before. So it's kind of eternal love being given a chance to fulfill itself. It comes and, at the end of Act One. And it, I yes. Think we just feel at the end of Act One, actually anything is possible. And foolishly, we think that maybe it could work out all right for a moment. And that's uh, how we go into the interval. And I think everybody's heart is up here. And also the fact that this is an experience that is happening to both of them for the first time. I did have another moment where Juliet is in the crypt. She thinks that their pact has worked and she wakes up and doesn't know where she is, obviously, sees Romeo and thinks, this is great. This is all worked out to plan. And it's only a few bars of music, but it's just in those few bars of music where she realizes something is not quite right. And for me, that is just the most devastating moment it's just heartbreaking but that's a special moment in terms of longer scenes i also love the moments with the nurse they're so playful and just warm and she has this beautiful relationship with the nurse and i, I like those scenes as well not just the big part of i mean of course they're great but aside from the part of those two yeah i i if i had to choose i couldn't i could bring it down to three not one <laughs> One is the is uh, the balcony parade for the reasons that um, I've already spoken about. The second one is I I see is the yin yang of that. It's at the opposite. It it is the fight between Romeo and Tybalt, because it's just pure wrath and rage that leads to the 
the catastrophe of somebody dying. To me, it's as intense as his love. It is as in as intense as his wrath. And then I agree with Pippa that moment when Juliet wakes up with her his head on her chest. And she's caressing his hair and she just, you know, in her days, she does, she thinks that she, they are in her bed at home and all of a sudden she realizes that she, he's dead. And it's that the, the, the music that, 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 that is composed for that moment, it, it's impossible not to get emotionally um, involved with it. I mean, the score, obviously, you know, gives you so much material to work with. It's beautiful. I always think of Prokofiev's music as something very special in ballet. I think it's the ultimate ballet score, written in the 40s and performed by one company three years later, the you know, Czechoslovakian ballet, and then inspired a whole generation of famous choreographers, as well as every company in the world wants to have their own version of uh, Romeo and Juliet. And most of those productions will be using Prokofiev music because there are other other composers uh, that composed uh, specific for Romeo and Juliet. So that's the first strength. It's a score that has the story of Shakespeare embedded into it, into scene by scene by scene until the end. And the emotional expression of each of those scenes is absolutely perfect in the music. Now an OBE and one of the UK's leading theatre designers with Olivia and Tony Awards under his belt for his collaborations with Matthew Bourne, Les Brotherston was still an emerging artist when he designed the sets and costumes for Romeo and Juliet. But as Dan and Pippa remember, his talent was already beyond doubt. Les Brotherston's design for the costume and the set is perhaps, you know... It is ingenious. It's absolute. The way phenomenal. the scenes overlap and change without a stop, um, it's really like you're reading the, the play. Yes. You know? yeah. It's really clever. And even just the colour palette. I love the fact that most of it is just this stone-washed palette, but then with interjections of the red and the gold, but without it being a fake sort of big production that's what I mean it there's a simplicity to it that's just has these powerful injections that almost aren't expected when the rain comes down when Lady C comes out with blood on her hands you know these are the moments that people probably go away and remember years later um, and that's I think the power of it coming back again over and over I mean I think there's a special intimacy to our piece it's clear that it's set in the Renaissance time but it actually be any time because the acting isn't of a period it's just pure human emotion and I think that's what carries it over because it doesn't matter what year it is if it's done right it's relevant and people can actually immediately associate with that One of the most powerful and moving artefacts in our exhibition is Christopher Gable's original notebook in which he has sketched out his thoughts on the character's motivation as they came to him. It gives us a privileged insight into the ballet's making, but its scorched edges also tell another story, that of the work's near undoing, an eventful and traumatic narrative that almost rivals Shakespeare's own. In 2001, arsonists destroyed the building that housed much of Northern Ballet's archive, including costumes from Romeo and Juliet, just three weeks before opening night. 
Then the catastrophic floods that struck Leeds on Boxing Day 2015 wrecked sets and costumes at the company's stores. A recent public appeal has supported the recreation, repair and updating of Les Brotherston's intricate costumes and spectacular wooden set, ready for the long-awaited revival. I think it was devastating for Northern Bali to have suffered through those two um, episodes, you know, a flood and a fire that destroyed quite a lot of uh, our productions uh, and Romeo and Juliet being what it represents for the company in terms of when it was created and what it did for Northern Bali. I think it, mean, it means a lot to the dancers and to the staff, but it also means a lot to the technical staff and the stage management who are really dealing with all those props and all those um, scenery uh, pieces that got destroyed. I was a worry that it wouldn't come back because it had been destroyed. So Yeah, but um, uh, I think it's uh, not been revived for the, for the company since 2009, I believe. So now it's, it, there is a reason why it's been chosen to come out of the box at the moment. And as I was saying, I, I had revived the ballet for uh, the Slovakian National Ballet. And the Slovakian National Ballet got invited to perform at the Globe in Rome. There's a, a replica of the Globe in Rome. And the couple that was leading, Romeo and Juliet, was our director now, Federico Bonelli and Alina Kuchikaru. And, uh, you know, I could see the, how much that production and dancing that production had impacted on comparing the other productions they had danced in the past. So I think that was the first interest that Federico had in the kind of work that we do, uh, you know, the, the power of the narrative and, uh, and the kind of productions that we do. So now it's coming back and obviously there is a duty from, from all of us at Northern Ballet to bring it back to its pristine design and uh, look, choreography and the technical staff are working around the clock to to make sure that you know all the original design is there and everything is fixed to be exactly what it used to be. And uh, to try and pass on the understanding and the passion that we had, because for dancers who haven't been involved in either the creative process or very closely passed down, we're trying to emphasise that it's not just another ballet where we learn the steps, that there's actually real heart and soul of everybody behind this. Yeah, I think it's it's so nice to see. I mean, obviously we work with the dancers in the studio and we can see that commitment and the passion and the, how much they're looking forward to, you know, have the chance to perform Romeo and Juliet. But also, you know, going to the workshop and, and saying, oh, this sword is, you know, needs replacing and that dagger needs replacing, oh, that flag is ripped or it's rotten and has to be redone. But they go back to the, you know, to what they call the props Bible, you know, and reproduce it to the, exactly the same colours. Going into the wardrobe is the same commitment. You know, they have uh, they have all the designs there to go back to, and I think everybody's really excited to see the production as it was. You know, um, and it's happening. <laughs> One thing to be said is that usually choreographers do change their productions along the way, and that's you know quite uh, accepted in the industry. But we have to respect the fact that Christopher is no longer with us. So this his. A responsibility to do his production as he he felt, and I think that is the same for the choreography because it's the, the production and the choreography are kind of embedded uh, together. And also for uh, you know for Les Brotherston, who's become a very well respected designer uh, in the UK and internationally, that we you know we go oh, back to absolutely what it was. Yeah, he's not coming back to change anything. 
emotionally uh, people are committed to it but also i think there's a that you know there's an etiquette of making sure that i think we're also proud also proud, to yeah. be able to say we are and we can so yes <laughs> i mean i think there's a real fan base of this show that will come back again many times they're totally excited and yet i've had new people um speak to me about it who are just equally keen who have followed northern ballet or even just interested in the title i don't think um there'll be a lack of interest in this production yeah i mean romeo and juliet resonates with people as a play as music as dance as mm. ballet it has been done as a contemporary piece or as a, a mm. classical piece and it's it's like i said it's archetypal and i think we can identify with all those emotions that those people go through in the you know period of of, of a three hour piece, two and a half hour piece. And who yeah. doesn't love a good cry in a darkened theatre? Yeah. <laughs> but but you know but there's also comedy. There's also anger. There's you know there's wrath. There's yeah. There's humour as well. With there's humour. There's yeah. yeah. Jam packed. Since I'm, I've been performing uh, Romeo and Juliet with the company, the fight choreographer came to coach us every single year. And he's still coming this time around. We invited him to come back. His name is Jonathan Howell. And, uh, you know, he specializes in stage fight. And I think that his ability to create absolute carnage and chaos in the rumble with children running around, women and men with swords that are a meter and a half long, swinging sticks, and make it safe. I think it's it's genius, absolute genius, because it looks violent enough. But obviously, in theatre, nobody gets hurt. Nobody, you know, it, they look as though they get hurt, but nobody gets hurt. And you know, over the years, many performances. We used to do fifty performances per season of this. Touch wood. They would all go home safe and sound and the audience would still get the fright of their lives that those swords are real and they that they are really fighting. There's no kind of like pretty theatrics of a fight. It is a proper fight. And it just it, it actually looks really beautiful, you know, from a perspective of somebody who's who's admired martial arts and dance. <laughs> so I just think it's it, it's it's fantastically done. Yeah. We did uh, Romeo and Juliet in Istanbul once, which was one of the best experiences of my life, really, because we were performing in an amphitheater. Uh-huh. It was about 3,000 people. With the live orchestra. With the live orchestra, open sky. Starlit night, just like, I mean, not quite Verona. You could imagine <laughs> it was. <laughs> and people just literally hanging onto trees and, you know, it was absolutely packed. And it was just like a dream, yeah. honestly, to feel the breeze of the night as you're doing the, the balcony pas de deux with that music and 3,000 people watching was the best, one of the best memories I have in my career. And then we did do it in China. And I think the company did do it in the old Czechoslovakia before, mm. before we joined the Slovakian National Ballet. They revived Massimo's choreography with Massimo's own production. So I went to work there with them as well. One time, the the end of the ballet, the Paris character is meant to leave the dagger for me to kill myself with. And you back up and you feel for it because it's just left on a ledge. And you should have, 
I mean, I don't know what my face looked like when I realised it wasn't there and he hadn't left it. And I'll never forget that show of having to creatively pretend I had a dagger, but that never happened again. So I think maybe everybody's allowed one mistake. Paris, one job. <laughs> but it's believe you know if if you if you just believe from a distance in the theatre you mm. work perfectly. Yeah. Be- believe yeah. that you have a knife, mm. you can get away with that. I've heard of people strangling themselves to death for the same <laughs> reason, which is less believable. <laughs> The one thing I take from this production is that I was, for, uh, I was fortunate enough to dance so many roles in it. Yeah, Montague Mann, Benvolio, Lord Capulet, Friar Lawrence, and Romeo. And then to go to the other side to teach the production a few times over the years and to just feel as though I really have the production you know, in, in, in embedded in me, you know, and um, because it's so special for us, and because it's so special to me, I just feel feel privileged to 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 have you know have had that uh, opportunity. Who would have thought all these years later it would still be relevant and we'd still be relevant <laughs> to it? As the audio describer at Northern Ballet, I get to write the script to this ballet now, which I've not done before, and obviously read out the script live to the visually impaired patrons who will visit as well. It's not a running commentary, so although I know whether something's good or not or gone well, I'm not to, to say it's not my opinion. We are really being other people's eyes. So we say what we see. Um, we describe the costumes, the sets, the the action. You know, I've spoken to blind people and they're like, you know, we don't care if there's a little bit of gold braid on that top. What we want to know is what the vibe is. You know, <laughs> So it's really using your voice as well to for the... Again, and this is so rich to work with in the sense that there'll be the delicate scenes, there'll be the familial scenes, you know, there's, and then there'll be the fights, which, you know, I have to get my deep voice on for. So there's a, there's a lot to work with. But yes, it's not a ballet jargon evening. This is for people who may not know any ballet words. So we try and refrain from using the ballet knowledge that we have and try and get the, the leaps and the the sort of yeah, exactly the vibe so one way or another we're still immersed in Romeo and Juliet here the exhibition preserving the passion northern ballet's Romeo and Juliet can be seen in the Stanley and Audrey Burton gallery in the University of Leeds Parkinson's building until the 23rd of March 2024 Northern Ballet's revival of Romeo and Juliet opens at the Leeds Grand Theatre on the 8th of March 2024 before touring. 